The PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science, and their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They're dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horses live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. So you were talking about how you have competitions there. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's something that I'm not familiar with at all, is, is what they're judging, what the judging is based off of, and just how all of that works. It's so fascinating. Sure. So I mean, one of the some of the great things about the sport are that you can have any breed of horse and you can have beginner, intermediate, advanced, different levels of difficulty. So for um you know, beginner, if you approach an obstacle and let's say it's a, a, a teeter-totter or whatever it is, you want to approach um, square and in the center for the for the first horse length. And when you leave that obstacle, you need me, you know, kind of down middle and straight for a horse length, and then you can turn off once you get past the horse length. Um, you want to the horse to enter the obstacle with confidence. Um, and then you want to walk across it um, willingly and at a consistent gait and hopefully calmly. Um, that doesn't all happen. <laughs> um, and it's got it's something you got to work towards over time. But um, so there there's a scoring for your entry and your exit. And if there's uh, three refusals and the judge will just ask you to move on to the next thing. And that's one of the things with the Colorado Obstacle Series and and. Nicole, you saw that saw that competition. I've become a judge along with my friend Roger Cohen. So we've judged some competitions elsewhere and and it's a lot of fun and people want kind of coaching. Why do you score me this and and the, and to understand? But um, um, the judge is really looking for um, you're in good control. You're not hanging on their on their mouth. Um, they're they're calm and willing. They walk. Um, onto it nicely, they walk off it nicely, and they kind of maintain that consistent pace as they go across. Now, when you get to more advanced levels, how do you make it more difficult? You may say, okay, you need to lope up to this obstacle and then transition down to a walk as you approach the obstacle. And when you're practicing that, you you don't transition right at the, the threshold. You Say I'm going to stop or transition five yards short, and then four yards short, and you know bring it in to where you can bring your horse down at at um, the right spot. And it's kind of a beautiful thing when you when you lope up and just come down, and then you walk calmly on an obstacle. And that's one of the the great things about the sport too is you know we all get wound up horses sometimes, but can you dial them back down? So like you. Let's say when we uh, lope the horses through the pond and Nicole's seen this, they get pretty fired up. And now you have to go up to an obstacle 
and do a finesse move and you're going to go on to the teeter-totter and do a 180 and back off or do a 360 and then walk off. Um, so, uh, you know, again, at the higher levels, what you do in between the obstacles is going to be more challenging and what you do on the obstacle may be more challenging as well. So doing 180s and 360s and, um, and you know, one of the great things about the obstacles and extreme trail is most people don't ride with their legs enough. They're, you know, inexperienced rider. They're mainly riding with their hands. And uh, you can always tell what they're doing because their hands are moving a lot. A really great rider, you don't see the cues much. And you're like, I didn't even see that person cue. Um, but the other thing that you do with your legs is you may um, pivot on the fore or pivot on the hind. But when we do a 360 on um, a box or a teeter-totter or the, or the rolling bridge, which is even on the suspension bridge, which on the horse park is kind of moving all over the place, you're pivoting on yourself. So it's move the four. I move the four all the time first, then the hind, and it's piece by piece. Move the four, move the hind, move the four, move the hind. And if you try to do it all together, you're probably going to come off the obstacle. But learning to break that down and, and you really learn to use your legs well and let's say also in a competition, your horse is shading left or right as they're walking across the obstacle. Well, if you're yanking on their head trying to steer them, the judge isn't going to take to that very well. But you say, hey, I'm a slightly left, a little left leg pressure, bring him back to the middle, and um, hopefully nobody notices <laughs> that I was slightly off center. So, um, you know, that's one of those great things. So I, I kind of went a little beyond your question of uh, – judging but it's uh you know it's it's the horsemanship it's it's um uh the entering the exit the calmness the fluidity uh, and again i love the aspect of dialing a horse up and dialing a horse down and um you know we've all had periods in our life where dialing the horse down was wasn't happening well enough it's always a lot easier to ask them to go forward than it is to ask them to calm back down and slow back down. So <laughs> I yeah, get that. Yeah. Um, it, it almost sounds like a, it's very similarly judged to say you would at like a regular like ranch horse trail class or a show horse trail class where it's it's about the, you know, in between maneuvers and, and how you're approaching an obstacle. And, and like you said, with turning on the forehand and, and the hind end to get a turnaround, it's, it's similar to the kind of stuff that you might see in a trail class. It's just brought to a more extreme level. And so I think that's why Jillian and I were really excited to have you on the podcast is because this is such a new event in the, in the grand scheme of things. But I feel like people that come from horse show backgrounds, people that come from trail riding backgrounds, people who just grew up on a ranch and just like riding their horses. This is all an event that they can understand and learn and have fun doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, like I said, I think there is some similarity there in the judging, but, uh, you know, it, it can be a little more extensive. And, you know, one of the ways I describe it sometimes when I particularly like people who don't know horses that much and I show them the horse park and they're like, why in the world are you doing this? And, and I say it's essentially 101 ways to scare a horse, but hopefully have a horse that in the end isn't scared of much. So, and even, um, 
like we were talking about before, how much fun it is, you can always keep pushing it. And, um, you know, close friend Roger Cohen, who keeps Riley here, that, that the horse that, that uh, Lauren rode, um, when I have one of these competitions, my biggest competition is my buddy and his horse, Riley. Um, and sometimes I beat him and sometimes I don't. But um, so we come up with like additional things. So we'll go side past the suspension bridge. And that thing is moving like crazy underneath them, or we'll side pass all the way around the exterior of a, a teeter totter. And then we do it with two horses at the same time. And we got to get their heads past each other at one point. And you don't know which way the teeter totter is going based on exactly the balance of the, the two horses. And um, so even for guys who have this in front of them all the time, we, we kind of experiment and say, Hey, would you think we could do this? <laughs> and uh, just take it to another level and and uh, yeah, just a lot of fun. I bet, yeah, that's, first of all, that's crazy. I would never even think to do something like that. But I, you know, that also truly prepares you for doing those really long rides. Like we talked about a little earlier with the Roundup Riders and um, you've done a lot with them. Do you find that it's really easy to transition into the the Roundup Riders kind of rides after doing so much with Chester and, and Riley with Roger? Because I know Roger goes on those with you. And, um, you know, has that kind of helped you transition to having a really, really enjoyable ride? Because your horse will literally go over anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is very helpful. Um, it was funny. We have, um, like, we had 20 colts this year which are are newbies and we had a colt clinic here and um and we teach them you know what's going to happen on the ride and what equipment you need and, and all that sort of thing and then we do a trail ride and like i was saying we've got some um pretty difficult sketchy horse trails which i love to take people on and then afterwards they're like is is the whole roundup ride going to be this difficult and it's like no <laughs> No, it won't. Um, but yeah, no, it, it makes it enjoyable when you when you've got a confident horse um, that's willing to go into the water, that's willing to, you know, do a difficult step down or, or through some down trees or or what have you. Um, you know, I was having a discussion with another uh, close friend, Jerry, who keeps a horse here at our place, and um, you know, Jerry's was kind of like me where you started out sort of being that guy and you, you hope he survives the ride. <laughs> um, but he's, and he does Brandon clinics with me and he's come a long way, but I was like, Jerry, we have this part where it's sloping rock and we have about eight inches of footing. And I'm like, Jerry, if, if you can just give your horse and he's riding with a Makate, give him, give him all the rain before he needs it. Like, a step or two before he needs it. And so it, it, that's one of the things that I really try to do with my horse is that I'm anticipating when he's going to really need his head. And I'm going to, with it's easy with a loop rein to Makate to put it all out there. And every time he needs to put his head down, he has it. He's not running into the bit. And um, so it's one of those things I was working with Jerry on is if you can you can be a little loose, but as soon as they put their head down the way they need to, then they're they're running into the bit. But anticipate, give them their head before that diff difficult step down, so they know they always have it. They're gonna 
they they're they're not worried about putting their head down and and running into your hands and running into that bit. So that's one of those things on a a, a hundred mile ride that just whenever it's difficult, I'm going to throw him his head, and uh, I trust him. He knows, and pretty much all horses know exactly where they're putting their feet. What happens is people get nervous and they start sucking in rain and they can't get their head down to hunt the trail. And one of the coolest things I see on the horse park is that elevated balance beam and the horse's nose skimming across the ground. And if your horse has got his head down like that and um, skim their nose across the ground, you can just relax on that elevated balance beam. If they have their head up, you better be steering and worrying about where you are. Are you centered or you left or right and, and trying to bring them back because they're not paying attention. Um, I, I just, just think it's a beautiful thing when you're really partnered up with their horse. Your job is to anticipate, is there some cows coming up ahead? Um, there's, do I need to be on the left side of the trail or the right side of the trail? Um, I could tell you a story on that, but I need to get them approximately in the right place. And then, um, and then I'm going to give him his head and let him make the micro decisions. Um, you know, there's a, um, hopefully people bear this out, but there's, I tell a joke that in my family, I make all the big, big decisions and my wife makes all the small decisions, including which ones are the big ones and which ones are the small ones. Um, but I'm always, it's my job to get the horse in the right place where they, they can be successful and then let them have at it. And, uh, you know, on that hundred mile ride, um, you know, we're, we trust each other and I'm going to give him his head that if it's, a, you know, a rocky place or a place that easily get tripped up, he's going to take care, um, take care of us and put his feet in the right place. Let's talk a little bit about that 100 mile ride. I know you kind of brought it up at the beginning of the podcast uh, that you've done these long rides before. Can you kind of go into detail about what all entails in those rides and, and do they differ every year? Yes, the, the rides are uh, primarily in Colorado. We might occasionally venture, venture out a little bit into a neighboring state. Um, this uh, next year will be our 75th ride. It started in 1948. So this has been going on a little bit, started shortly after World War II. Um, it is run with military efficiency. Um, every camp, assuming we've got room is set up the same way, picket lines for 150 horses. Um, and, you know, we've got a cook tent and um, um, there are 14 different tents that the riders are split up too. Those are kind of like subfamilies within the group of guys, but it's generally 140 to 150 riders. We're riding. We might start on a, a private ranch like that we did in my my first year in 2013 when it was at our ranch. And then we're mainly out on the Forest Service. We work very collaboratively with Forest Service and we leave it better than we started. Um, there are a lot of trails that we work with the Forest Service as to what the ride, where it's going to go, and that they're comfortable with that. And we do a lot of trail clearing uh, to get these trails back in shape that maybe they haven't been cleared in a few years. So, um, you know, we're leaving, really leaving the forest better than when we started. But we're riding kind of 18 to 22 miles a day 
we we ride five days. There's there's one day off in the middle where we do a, a gym Kana. Uh, we do a trail class. We do a horse show, uh, trap shoot. We kind of have some fun on that 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 off day. But it's a it's a great group of men. We're really committed to the Western tradition. Um, you don't walk around camp with um, sweatpants and a t-shirt. You're dressed, you know, you're dressed Western um, all the time. And, um, you know, the group works a lot with other uh, other groups as well. Um, um, National Western Stock Show, they're very involved in, but, um, you know, very committed to the Western uh, tradition. And uh, we see some country that's just absolutely beautiful that I certainly would never see if I was not, if I wasn't on this ride. And, uh, so it's, it's a highlight of the year. Um, it's a big commitment. There's, there's a lot of working to keep your horse legged up going into that. It's not fair to take a out of shape horse on that ride, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a good group of men. They're really committed to good horsemanship, uh, to the Western tradition, uh, to helping out. Uh, we've also created a, a foundation, Oh, 35 years ago, I think the, the Heritage and Trails Foundation. So we donate about $150,000 a year towards uh, trail maintenance or new trail construction in different parts of Colorado. And it could be on the, the front range and other places. So we, we want to give back and, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a highlight for me. I, I totally enjoy the people and the riding and the horses and, you know, being out in the forest service for a week is, is outstanding. Yeah. You had, you had told me about the roundup riders before and, and when I've gone to see you at your property, but I did not realize the conservation side of it. And like you said, where you were donating to kind of help build more trails and, and keep these trails alive. And, and that's so important in this time and age, especially as we see horse trails, get more limited as you know as the years go by i feel like it's harder to find a place that you can take your horse so that's that's really cool and that's uh i love to hear that there are communities out there that are, are working to to keep that stuff alive and keep the western traditions alive yeah yeah very much so and we we are giving towards trails where horses are allowed or they may be mixed use but um that horses are allowed or actually we did I'm on the Heritage and Trails Foundation board, and we did a project this past year across private land, but it created, uh, it came with an easement that gave the public access to public land that it couldn't really get to because it was blocked by private. And uh, um, yeah, I know it's it's uh, it's right up my alley because I love trails and I build trails all the time. And uh, this is kind of doing a broader basis throughout the state and, and helping some uh, organization that that do a lot of good things building those trails what are some things that you have to do to prepare a horse for that long of a trail ride well um you got to ride in the mountains <laughs> um because the ride is in the mountains the whole time some of the guys are uh you know live on the the plains of Colorado and they're where they're riding from their home or nearby is, is flatland. So I host a ride every other week on Tuesday nights. I invite there are 85 guys on my invite list and I might get 15 to 20 in any particular 
ride, but uh, it's really just miles and getting, it's not only getting the horse in shape, but getting your body in shape um, to be ready for that. There's your first year, the packing and buying all these things is kind of hard, but um, once you've been doing it for a while, you know what you need, you know how to pack. Um, you want to also set up your saddle well. So I'll try to ride for at least a couple of weeks with um, the pommel and camel bags that I'll be using on the ride and make sure, you know, they're not getting in the way of your reins and you're, you're comfortable with it. We don't want to overload our horses, but at the same time, uh, like this year, it rained about just about every day. Uh, we got hailed on <laughs> um, and uh, having slickers and, and a uh, hat cover and different things. But uh, um, so it's, it, it's mainly getting in shape, but it's also making sure that you've got the right gear and you got the right gear on your saddle and you don't over, you know, overburden your horse. It's really important too that we try to cut down on sore backs and that you've got a saddle that fits well, um, you got the right blankets, and that you're not going to end up with a horse with a really sore back because um, that's that's not fair to them. No, absolutely not. And like you said, it's mostly to kind of get you ready too because I, I don't think people, you know, until you're in the saddle for eight or nine hours in one day you don't realize how much it can take a toll on your body and and how sore you're going to be yeah yeah and julian one one other important point that i missed is if you have a new new horse that hasn't done it before they can get into a big group of horses and lose their mind and so we do a one day ride in early june um, a one-day ride at the end of June, which is uh, we call the shakedown ride. It's actually been here the last few years. Um, and it's just the dynamics of, let's say you have a new horse or you, you're new to this, the whole roundup ride, um, that you get them into a mix of, on these one-day rides, there might be 75, 80 horses. And that's probably enough to kind of um, figure out how they're doing. But But getting them into a big group dynamic more often is important so they can be calm um, and, you know, not uh, go crazy and try to buck you off on the big ride. That's really interesting. I, I guess I would have never really thought about it being, you know, in that super large group, but they, they kind of have that herd mentality and, and yeah, I could imagine things could go south pretty quickly, especially if one reacts and then the others follow. And and so, um, yeah, no, I <laughs> never thought about that, but that's a very, very fair point. Yeah, and it, it, if you've got a horse losing their mind, it's not really that enjoyable. Um, no. So, and, and, and you guys are experienced riders and it's, you know, there's an element too of us calming ourselves down to help our horse calm themselves down. And there may be say, hey, I'm going to get this horse with a horse he knows or she knows for, for you know, half a day or something to kind of help them settle down. But, uh, um, yeah, that's like it's kind of like we we're talking about dialing horses up and dialing horses down. In this case, they get dialed up on their own and we need to we need to be their protector um, and and help help bring them down and help them get to a good place. Yeah, that's that's extremely important when you're out on a trail ride too. Um, kind of going pivoting a little bit. Uh, you, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, and I've mentioned it in one of my columns. But 
we had some really, really bad wildfires here a couple of years ago um, in 2020. And you actually stepped up and took in, was it 220 horses from Sea Lazy U's guest ranch when their emergency, they had moved their horses once and then their evacuation property that they had their horses on then need evacuated and that's where you stepped in. Yeah, it was uh, 182 horses. Um, so it was a it was a funny story. I'm I'm uh, the Sea Lazy U is owned by two couples, and I I know one of them, um, Don Bailey and Leslie Stanford Well, and uh, I've been trying for a few years to get them interested in um, obstacles, because on a dude ranch people go and they want a thrill. And what you do is you go gallop a horse and then you go to the emergency room. And uh, it it kind of happens all too often. And the question is, and this is, you know, great for, it's one of those great things about the sport is, is, um, um, sorry, I lost my, my thought. Um, having a thrill at low speed that you go over a teeter totter and you do a 360 and that type of thing. And, and um, you know, that can, um, be a lot of fun. So we had Amy Cullen, their head wrangler out here and Don Bailey riding our horses on the horse park. Um, they were on Chester and Riley, our, our two primary horses here. Um, they, the fire, actually I emailed Don Bailey and said, hey, you know, you wanted us to come up sometime and look for a place to build obstacles and that sort of thing. He said, well, we're, we're kind of dealing with this, this fire that's near us. I'm kind of busy right now. And so, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it. And then several days later, Amy called me and um, um, the fire blew up. And the biggest fire in Colorado, I think, burned 230,000 acres and it took a couple of months. This blew up 100,000 acres in 12 hours. So this this was probably the worst advancing fire that, that maybe Colorado's seen in modern times. So Amy called, they, they evacuated the horses and then they were threatened again. And Amy called me and said, um, could you take the horses? And I just said, yes. I figured, you know, you're, you're in dire straits. I'm just going to say yes, unqualified. We'll figure out the details later. And then I was able to lean on the roundup riders. And I know I got a lot of horse friends. I, way back when I had no horse friends, but now I have a lot. So I called the president, Daryl Wentz. He offered full support. He sent an email. See, Lazy you sent out Facebook messages. And we had... We only sent up large capacity trailers, but we sent up um, 15 large capacity trailers. And uh, I went around and checked my fences. I arranged to borrow 15 horse troughs from the Roundup Riders. Um, Bruce Wagner, uh, one of our Roundup Riders, offered to donate 15 tons of hay, which was, you know, helped us get by initially. But um, these people drove into a really chaotic situation in Granby, Colorado. The fire is advancing right on where the horses are. And they were in a situation where Amy felt they were just gonna have to open the gates and let the remaining remaining horses fend for themselves because they would have to evacuate. But the wind turned, they were able to get the horses loaded. We took the first horse here at 6.30 PM and we the last one came at 1.30 AM um, and she had called me at noon. so. Um, you know, we, it was a very quick thing, but the, it was unbelievable to see the volunteers that stepped up in the flotilla of trailers that went up to Granby driving into a fire and uh, bringing the horses back. And, uh, 
unloading 45 horse trailers that night for horses who had many of them had never been in a horse trailer before. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> um, but, um, and then I remember uh, I put all the uh, 182 halters in the back of my Suburban and I've got a picture of that and that was quite a pile of halters. Um, Came out the next day. We had actually had to uh, ice storm that night. Some of our, they closed I-70 and the drivers that drove through that ice storm hauling horses, um, oh my goodness, they those people were heroes um, to get the horses here. And then we had the horses here for 16 days. We, we had a, an extra kind of 60 acre pasture that we put them in and um, you know, it, it turned winter here, so we had to haul water. We had to break ice off the water troughs every day for quite a while. Getting hay here, despite the, the icy roads, was a challenge. Um, and, and it was a lot of work, but I tell you what, I just, I would wander the pasture, partly to just check on the health of the horses, but just to see them and to go love on them. And you could tell these horses were ridden all the time. There was only one horse out of 182 that I couldn't approach and love on. Um, these were well-mannered horses. Uh, one day, uh, Amy Cullen and I and Roger and a few other people grabbed some horses and brought them into the arena and we rode obstacles with them or introduced them to obstacles. And they did a pretty good job uh, for ha not having done it before. But, um, you know, and it was we were trying to figure out uh, what's going on at the Sea Lazy U, what burned, what didn't burn. Fortunately, most of their most of their facilities survived. I didn't know if they'd be able to go home. Did they have pastures, did they have fences? And after a while, they after 14 days, they were like, yeah, we, we think we can bring them back. And uh, on the 16th day, we brought them home. We must have had, on the last day, we must have had 50 volunteers here helping us. Um, I reached out to my neighbors to tell them what was going on here. We didn't cook a meal for two weeks. Um, the neighbors brought in the food. Um, we had so many volunteers. It was it was just a heartwarming thing. And then separately, I posted on Facebook for the first time in my life. Um, I'm not, I'm you know, fairly private, but it's like such a good story. And and you could tell people are like messaging me saying, you know, is Rusty okay? <laughs> and asking about particular horses. And you could see how much love people had for the Sea Lazy U and they had relationships with individual horses and uh, you know, the way Roger Cohen and I frame it, and that guy was a hero. Um, he was here for 16 days, including three, you know, staying overnight and three days staying overnight. Um, but, um, you know, it was one of the best experiences of my life. If I was smart enough to put it on a bucket list, I would have had it on there. Um, but we were really glad when they went home too, because we were exhausted. Um, it was a, it was a lot of work, um, but um, good. Good story in the end. Yeah, no, that that is a lot of horses. I have been really fortunate enough to stay at Sea Lazy U. And like you said, all those horses are really well-mannered. They're taken care of very well. Um, you know, I, I think their historic barn got burnt down, but for the most part, their property was okay. But it was very sad to see that their barn did burn down because it was such a beautiful old barn. But um, yeah, no, that was a really scary year for Colorado. For the people who don't live in Colorado that are listening to this, uh, like you had said, this was one of the biggest fires in current Colorado history. I believe we had two or three wildfires that year that surpassed the largest burning fire in Colorado. So it was a really chaotic year for us. And and we had I had talked to you a little bit about this because I had my own experience evacuating horses and 
And the thing that really brought me to tears was as everybody was evacuating and fleeing their homes, you saw people loading up their horse trailers and driving directly into the fire. And that is something that will stick with me for the rest of my life. I'm from Chicago. We don't get wildfires. I've never experienced anything like that. And to see all these people just hooking up their rigs, they don't even know these people and they're just driving into the fire. And that was the same for Sea Lazy U. There were some videos floating around where um, you could just see a line of trailers. I mean, we're talking like a hundred trailers and just one by one, somebody would drive up, you would throw a bunch of horses in and they were off and, and uh, yeah. And, and then to find out that they were all going to your place, Jim, I was like, well, if they're going to go anywhere, that's a, that's a fantastic property to end up at. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, it was good. It was a heartwarming story to see so many people step up and uh, and to help and and everybody can get behind that. And uh, well, Jim, we have taken up plenty of your time today. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Um, uh, our I know our readers are going to look forward to reading more about your uh, fundamentals for Extreme Trail, and we look forward to working with you more in the future to kind of bring out uh you know more information about extreme trail and what it is but thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today tuning into the ride podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts follow horse and rider magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com if you guys have any questions or comments please be sure to hit us up at horse and rider at equinenetwork.com we want to hear from you guys and if you like what you're listening to be sure to leave us a review on itunes